Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to be Human. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, and we're concluding this month's uh, special series, Writing is Fire. And this one will be on What is Writing, episode number 55. Now, I know it does sound like a big question, what is writing? It might even sound redundant because, you know, we did what was poetry, what is playwriting, and what is short fiction. But what is writing is even bigger than that because, you know, it also encompasses uh, the things that are considered nonfiction. It might even encompass to a certain extent, you know, songwriting. Or even just some scribble on the wall from from a caveman. But what is writing? I think, even as a writer, I don't mind saying this, but uh, writing believes in, in its heart of hearts that it is the only real art form that can capture, you know, the full sense of humanity, the full scope of history. You know what I mean? All the things that can be in a moment. Writing believes it can do that. Sometimes that is the case. You know, you, you, you think about it, uh, uh, all the great holy books, uh, the Bible, the Quran, uh, Bhagavad Gita, you know, all, all the great books uh, have literally tried to capture everything from the beginning of time, you know, to, to the prophecies of the future. And you, you can't get something like that, even from a mural painting or, or, or a really nice sculpture, because those have certain limitations where writing... It tries to go beyond all limitations. It tries to be, maybe, maybe in an arrogant way, sorry to say, but maybe writing tries to, to do it all. It tries to capture everything. You know, it, it wants everything to be captured, and it believes it can capture everything. It doesn't always do that. Don't get me wrong. It does, it does capture a whole lot more than other art forms. And in many instances... In many ways, it's much more reliable on, on things. I mean, it's hard to get a real, excuse the pun, picture of history, you know, from from a, maybe a, a buried mural in you know in, in ancient Rome that someone just discovered, or you know, some some cool mosaic tiles that they found in Israel from the you know from the King David days. While that does capture certain things, there you still can't get. A real breadth of the story. You don't really get the kind of depth that you're going to get from writing. So writing is very special in that sense. But it also can be very, very maddening. Because oftentimes writing has so much uh, depth. It has so much gray area and areas that it can easily be controversial. It can be disputed. It can be conversed on to, to, to death. Uh, 50 people could have 50 opinions about a piece where uh, a, a fresco or a mural or a, a wonderful a portrait or uh, even a sculpture. Uh, it There really is only so many angles that somebody can really say good or bad or indifferent about. There's only so much you could say. 
you know, let's think about it. Uh, you know, the statue of David. Okay, the dude is naked, and you know, you can see his genitals, and it's kind of muscular, but it looks a little feminine. You know, um, cool set of hair. You know, has a sort of a, a, a action motion in him. He's not just stiff. He's kind of yeah. It seems like he he's moving very. Even though it sounds weird to say, uh, some sculptures don't seem as three-dimensional as that one is. It just seems very lifelike. But there you go. There's not too many more things you could say about that. Where you can, uh, you could take uh, uh, Tolstoy's War and Peace, and you could literally talk about fifty different things. You know, from the from the historical backgrounds to the uh, to the history included in there, to the actual characters and their motivations. I mean, you could just go on. You know, probably pages of questions and and disputes and controversies and and, and various opinions and etc. So it's fair to say, without without being biased, believe it or not, it's fair to say that writing really does have more depth. And maybe because of the depth, as writers, we we think it can capture everything and it can do everything, and that's not always the case. But hey. I don't really think it, 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 it goes too far to, to, to believe that sometimes it can do that. Because sometimes it really can. I just know that it doesn't do it all the time. And it's never a good idea to elevate one piece of art over over another. Because uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, David or uh, Mona Lisa or, you know, uh, the fresco of uh, The Last Supper. I mean, these are, these are masterworks that... Uh, that will stand the test of time if they haven't already. And quite frankly, um, they're right up there with some of the masterworks of, of writing, you know. I mean, like Great Expectations or War and Peace, uh, uh, Brave New Worlds, uh, Romeo and Juliet, you know, etc., etc., Odyssey, all of that. So it's definitely up there with them. And so I wouldn't want to make writing is somehow it's the, you know, the be-all, end-all of all art. And that's it because obviously the world would be very dull. If all we had was books in the house and, and no paintings on the wall, no interesting sculptures and busts of Julius Caesar and Octavius Caesar and Mark Antony and, you know, all that. It would be, be a kind of a boring world because there's something more three-dimensional, more lifelike, more more connected with some of those art forms than writing is. Writing, it takes a while to get connected for what you're reading. you got to first understand what's going on and... Quite frankly, then you have to have be interested in it. You can understand it all you want, but if you're not interested in it, it doesn't make the connection. You know, whether whether you're looking like, would you mind looking like a naked guy like David, the statue of David, or not? It's still interesting. You don't have to be admirer of the male body to say, hey, that's a that's a hell of a of a statue there. That's 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 just awesome. You know, or Rodin's The Thinker. I mean, that's, that's, what is he thinking? How awesome is that? You don't have to be totally interested in it to still be struck by it. It sort of brings you in. Writing doesn't always do that. Oftentimes it takes a while for it to, to get you anywhere. And that, that's one of the, the, you know, the weaknesses or failings of writing that other art forms don't have. And maybe they can't afford to have that because if they're not catching you quickly, then you don't care. All right, yeah, the naked dude, all right, whatever. You know, so it, that was it. You're just not interested because it's just not that interesting. So you got to be interesting. You got to be able to bring them in right away when you're doing the other forms, whether it's playing a flute, or sculpting something, or painting. Yeah, you you got to be able to catch them real quickly because you might never catch them again. 
at least with writing, it, it, it has the advantage of, of giving you many chances, you know, and many times. You could put it down and, and come back to it. And maybe this book will get better later. Or maybe I'll understand it more later. Or maybe it'll connect later. You can't really do that with a painting or, or, or a sculpture. I don't know too many people that say, right now I'm looking at this painting and I think it stinks. Maybe tomorrow when I come back, it could be awesome. People don't normally think that. They just think about... That stunk on Tuesday, and it's probably going to stink on Wednesday too. You know, that's how they're going to th they're going to view that. So probably have to just hit it off the off the bat right away with with those other forms. But what is writing? Well, to me, writing, uh, and I know it it might sound biased, or arrogant, but hey, what can I do? I, I do my best over here to, to be as objective as possible, but. Writing, to me, it always seems like the very best tool to sort of tap into the to the writer's or, or the artist's soul so that maybe it can connect to somebody else's soul. Writing has a, a very much a spiritual dimension. Uh, again, we'll talk about David. We'll talk about Rodin. You, you could easily say it has a historical connection or you can say it has a, a physical connection, maybe even a philosophical connection, but... No one's going to look at a naked dude and say, yeah, I got a spiritual experience from this. It's not happening. I don't care who you are and what your persuasion is. There's nothing very spiritual about that. And of course, there's plenty of paintings, the same thing. You could look at Mona Lisa and say, yeah, I'm not really feeling spiritual on this thing. You know, in fact, uh, other than it being an interesting painting, I'm not really sure what people seen in it. Because quite frankly, I don't really think Mona Lisa is all that pretty. If you want to look at it just from a regular guy's standpoint, you know, unless you're not studying it or something, it's like, yeah, whatever, you know. You could look at the fresco of the Last Supper. Yeah, it does recount in, in picture form there. You know, all the disciples getting around at that Last Supper. He's going to tell them all about the body of, of himself and his blood and all that. He's trying to pre prepare in a way for his ultimate uh, sacrifice and you could probably say just because you know the story behind it, yeah, I think that's spiritual. But quite frankly, if you didn't know the story behind the Last Supper, you wouldn't feel it's very spiritual. You'd just say, yeah, there's this cool bearded dude there and a bunch of other dudes and they're having dinner and uh, I don't know what they're going to do later. Maybe they're going to go and, you know, surf or something or throw some dice with the Romans or, you know. Get some bocce ball going afterwards. Who, who knows? You know, you don't really know. You don't really know the true ramifications of it because you'd have to know the story, whether because the fresco doesn't really tell you that much. It's just people sitting down, pretty much reverently, you know, to have a to have a dinner, you know. And if you didn't even know the name was the Last Supper, you wouldn't even know that it was their last dinner, and you're not even sure why it is their last dinner because you don't know the story. The paintings are going to tell you why is this the Last Supper. Who is this dude with really cool long hair? We don't know. Unless we knew the story already. So there you see the limitation in that. Again, not very spiritual from, from that aspect. But writing can get there. It can get spiritual quickly. Poetry can also tap into people's souls in, in five, seven, eight, ten lines sometimes. I read some haikus that they were like they were very powerful. Kind of a Zen thing, but that's great. You could it's amazing what it can be done with this. A couple of lines so there really is in writing that spiritual connection and maybe it's why writers later on had felt that well if it can get into a spiritual connection and go in depth then why can't it go wide 
and, and give the truth more scope. You know, I um, who, who used to say that? It was a French writer who used to say that a lot. It'll, it'll come to me. Um, he used to often say that. And um, and to give history more more detail, or or, or maybe to even break down in, in in the moments of something how so critical that was. I mean, if you think about it, um, from the time let, let's look at the Bible for a second. From the time that Christ was carrying the cross in that horrible fashion to the point, the time he was put on the cross, and then you know speaking to uh, to God up in heaven, and even speaking to some Romans. The details among, among that are pretty pretty darn interesting if, if you think about it. You know, he's he's you know he's forgiven the the, the thief next to him, saying he's going to go to heaven. He's talking to the Romans over there, he's talking to God. I mean, he's doing a lot of interesting things. Without that detail, all we would get was, uh, yeah, he was condemned, and yeah, he uh, dragged this big piece of wood, and then they nailed him to it, and then they hung him up, and then they stabbed him. With a spear, and he bled, and then he died. And then, then the rain came, and the weather was bad, and everybody went home. I mean, that, that's all we would generally know then. So writing can give that kind of uh, real real detail that might add an interesting um, footnote, or interesting uh, spiritual commentary, maybe, an interesting philosophical context, maybe even an interesting historical uh, note. You know, for all those people that um, disavow of even the existence of Christ. I can understand if there's folks out there that just don't want to believe in his divinity. That's fine. Do what you have to do for your own religion. I'm not going to bother with that. But we know that he existed. We know from the uh, the Roman historian uh, Jophesus that he existed. We also know from the details that came from the Bible that that was a common a crucifixion. I mean, other than the thorns on the head, everything about that was pretty much pretty common, what, what they did. It wasn't anything unusual. I mean, they went the extra cruel step of nailing him to the cross, whereas a lot of other people, they simply uh, tied them with rope and made them naked, and eventually your body sinks in, you can't breathe, and you die. But it usually it takes a couple of days, so it's much more grueling, where his was a lot quicker, but much more brutal. But again, these were common things that were known through history from the Romans, so they didn't take any, uh, I felt, any liberties with anything. So it, to me, it, it seemed not only very authentic from what the history says, but we also know from other sources that a man like him did exist and, and did uh, try to uh, put out a message that ultimately uh, other religions and even the Romans themselves uh, you know, found it uh, to be, um, if not just offensive, possibly just something that could threaten their rule. I mean, if you think about it, he rules on, based on strength, and you got a guy coming over saying, you know, forgive people, love people, you know, try to help one another, you know, that sort of thing. And, I mean, if you think about it, you, you couldn't be the Roman Empire with that kind of philosophy. <laughs> How are you going to take over lands and take over stuff and bring slaves in and build stuff and all, all kinds of stuff? You wouldn't be able to do that with that philosophy. So it had to be something uh, created very differently than... Than the than the, the more pagan philosophy, or even the or even the Jewish philosophy, which which was also quite different. So I can understand how folks would would, would feel about that. But we know from writing and from other sources this the existence of this person. So that's another another useful thing about writing. 
Because it's not always going to be a spiritual thing. Sometimes it's going to be strictly a historical thing. And people take a lot of historical significance from these various tales and, and these various books. We understand a lot about what happened in the past because of that. And the Bible is just one of those sources. You know, there's plenty of others and, and plenty of other histories. Julius and Caesar himself wrote a wrote a, a history of his own exploits and the, and the things that he'd done. Um, so did uh, so did Augustus, who became the Caesar afterwards. And we know they had other historians, private and otherwise. We had a we had a, they had a bunch of monks called the Essenes that wrote and rewrote and copied all the parts of the Bible all over the place, and uh, hid those into a cave, and that became the Dead Sea Scrolls. There you go. And quite frankly. Uh, if people are, are looking to go after you and kill you and destroy everything you're doing because they don't like what you're trying to uh, uh, spread, whether it's a message, a word, a writing, whatever, you know, the writing you can put into these into these um, caves and into these giant war, wine uh, baskets and jars and everything else, and 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 preserve them thousands of years later. It's, it's kind of much harder to do with a with a painting or. A bunch of tablets and stuff like that. It's just a lot harder to do. So, again, writing itself on a physical level, uh, whether it is a, a tablet or in this case, it is simply the papyrus where they, they, you know, they're creating paper out of uh, you know mushed up plants and then letting it dry and then using a, a ink. You know, I think it was indigo was some of the things they're using in a feather, and then you can actually write. So, writing itself on a physical level is extremely important because it makes it last. It gives it a certain enduring power, you know. You're not going to get too many paintings that are going to last 2,000 years, but you can get manuscripts that can last even longer than that. I know we have uh, tablets from the Babylonian and Sumerian days that are even older than that, still around. You dried them out and created little symbols, and, and, and that was their language, and that's what they were able to do. And I still find that to be writing. It's no different than what you're doing on a paper or later on with a typewriter and then later on with a, with a computer. It, it is a, a form of writing and it's something that could last. And I think that's one of the enduring aspects of writing is how it can last. How it can be something that can stir people in a village. It could be something that can frighten a pharaoh or a king or a queen. Because you never hear some dictator saying, i, I got to get rid of this painting, man. It's haunting me, and I'll just kill the artist where I'm at it. I'm not making fun of paintings, but there's not too many paintings that's going to cause that. Where it's not much to write, I don't care if it's a 17 or 20 page essay, you know, like like uh, Common Sense, you know, during, during the Revolutionary uh, War. Uh, of America that can really rally people and like wow we got to find these people who's writing this stuff we got to burn this press we got to do this with it we can't let them know this blah 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 and it's no different with with some of the with some of the Russian they used to call them Samzadats they're just little like chat books telling you about yeah there's a gulag over here and they're torturing people over there and people don't have any food and this communism stuff is a bunch of baloney it's not real it's a lie these people are evil blah 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 so you want to stop those people, you know? You're not going to hear a communist dictator say, 
this statue must be destroyed immediately or forget about it. My whole rule is, is over with and everybody will learn I'm a jerk. Uh, no. But writing can do that. It has that kind of power. It has that enduring quality. It has that spiritual depth. It has that philosophical context. And this is what writing is. It becomes more than just writing. Writing can become history. That you're learning important things that happen. I say this all the time because I'm always fascinated. I listen to all these skeptics about, yeah, writing the, the Bible's not history, the Bible's stupid, the Bible's a bunch of stories, fairy tales. And then the other week they're finding another town. I, I didn't think this existed. I mean, it, <laughs> same place they said it was going to be, same stuff that was said it in the Bible. They find a town and they, they figure this out. Keep doing it every time. So apparently there's a lot of stuff in there that's pretty accurate on the historical level. Uh, you can question about all the other stuff that you might not think that was a little too magical. Fine. But on a historical basis, there there's a lot there. And they keep finding stuff. Uh, writing can be very, very philosophical. In the, in the sense that, is the glass full? Is the glass empty? What do I think about this person's gender? How does that gender affect somebody's reality? These are very interesting things to think about, and writing can help us do that, you know. And, and if you think about it from uh, either um, uh, human rights, um, women's rights, or even um, civil rights, you know, writing covers a lot of that. Where you're just not going to get the other art forms to do as much. I mean, you could say all day long, "Man, this jazz was awesome, and it was incredible to listen to this during the civil rights and blues and this and that." And that's all wonderful and everything, but. You know, if you ever took apart the catalogs of jazz and catalogs of blues, most of those musicians weren't writing anything about that. It wasn't anything about, you know, I wish I was free here and I wish they can vote there and I wish they wasn't trying to burn my story here and I wish the Klan would go disappear. They weren't doing a whole lot. They were just doing daily stuff. That might be, for some people, and, and quite true, the, the soundtrack of, of a lot of that movements just because it was created by a lot of people who, who happen to be black and and that's that's wonderful but it was the writing of those various artists during those times that that moved people and became powerful the letters of Martin Luther King when he was in jail uh, his uh, eventual Nobel Prize uh, uh, speech incredible piece of writing actually uh, James Baldwin and some of his important books we're going to be doing a show about him soon actually um, you can also uh, think about um, Ralph Ellison with the Invisible Man, you know, saying about how I'm I'm walking through society and I'm educated and I'm not hurting anybody, but people don't even observe or care about me. I'm like I'm invisible because I'm a black man in society that no one cares about. So that's 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 some deep stuff there, and that's some stuff that that has that kind of impact for civil rights. Number of writers that were women that might not have wrote about women's rights, but just because their presence, like Shirley Jackson and the horror writer of the lottery and a lot of other important books, powerful that you would you would even have a, a woman with that kind of uh, sensibility and, and frightening on a psychological basis because she didn't write the, the creepy uh, spiritual horror stuff. It was more psychological. Of course, yeah, you have the um, a number of, of writers... Um, that uh, did come back out of those areas 
of of women's rights and and, and even gay rights and had it had an impact and, and and still have an impact and, and belong as part of the history not to say that there's not a such thing as gay photography or or even gay art you know because there is but i still i still don't think that it makes the connection across the genders and and, and across the the orientations and across the sexualities as writing does you know, if you ever read uh you know and the band played on Gary Schultz, if you read that, you, you, you'll, you'll see that. You'll see an indictment in of humanity because of the AIDS crisis and everybody fa- being faulted. Gay, straight, scientists, uh, civilian, hooker, you know, homeless, weirdo, whatever. They're all in there making mistakes and acting stupid and, and making the thing go on worse than it needed to go on. And that, that's, that's an important work right there. And that's the kind of work that writing can do. How it brings out a lot of the truth that maybe we can start absorbing and possibly trying to stop so that next time another crisis, maybe we handle it better because of what he did. And, and that's not something that, because it's so complex and so multi-layered, it's not something you can put into a sculpture or a painting or, or, or a jazz piece or, you know, an opera or something. Although maybe you could get away with a, an opera, you know. You won't stop gays. You won't stop the AIDS because you're acting like a bunch of jerks. You know, something like that. Maybe it could work, but uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, I I seen the gay opera. Um, you know, um, the Angels in America and, and Perestroika, and uh, yeah, it had some it had some illusions to what I'm talking about, but it's still nothing close to that nonfiction book. You know, and and then I I think that that normal heart too. I, I think that was that was pretty pretty damn powerful. For for a gay novel and and gave a lot, gave a lot to uh to, to see the focus of 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 the humanity of somebody who just because they uh you know do something different you know when the door is closed it doesn't make them a you know a strange human being it just means they're doing something different I mean no different than uh, you go home and drink some Pepsi and I go home and drink some Coke all right we're still drinking and doing our thing. No problem there, in my opinion. But writing has that kind of scope. Even when it's fiction, it can give the kind of scope that sometimes even nonfiction can give, but still you derive a lot of truth from that. I mean, if you think about a number of the books that Charles Dickens wrote, I mean, he'd have it almost on the same thing again and again. I don't care if it was Nickus Nickleby or if it was Great Expectations or a Tale of Two Cities, or The Christmas Carol, you know, which sometimes people set that apart from his other writing, but they shouldn't, because they all seem to have the same thing. Uh, a society that can be cold, unless people cooperate and stop being jerks. A society where children, if they don't have a family unit, get wandered around, they can be converted into thieves, and, and, and murderers, and monsters and stuff, which, which is happening in his books. Um, people who didn't have the kind of life they should have had just wanted to become abusive of these of these children. Um, and, and then what could happen if a heart was changed and how much that person with a changed heart and, and with some, you know, well-to-do can, can spread it and, and make the world better just by themselves. Rather than making it worse, they can make it better. That's, that's the common theme for all his books. Even though these books are fiction, there's nothing fiction about some of the garbage that was going on during the English times in the 
you know, in the 1800s. I mean, he was writing about this stuff. He knew something about that himself. He knew about how he had to forego his own education because his father died, so he could work in the factories, help support his family. How horribly unfair is that? I mean, it's just, we're fortunate he was born a genius and he didn't need too much more and it worked out for him, but I'm sure there's plenty that it did not. But he did a lot to try to keep those people afloat. You know, with orphanages and the money he sent and the hospitals, and he just, he did a great deal. That man really changed a lot of the world that he was trying to focus on. But we don't really know if Dickens just wound up doing a bunch of nonfiction books about this, how much impact that has. I mean, because if you think of Orwell, he did a few of those books. but And, and they're important to have out there, you know. How much Catalonia tells you about what he did in, in Spain and, and during the, the Civil War there. You know, and you, you read the, the Road to Wigan period and, and some of the uh, the unfortunate uh, unemployment and, 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 and harsh poverty of Northern England. These books are important, don't get me wrong. But because they were nonfiction, because they seemed like they were, if not topical, just sort of narrow on the focus of what they were doing, they didn't have the same world impact as what Dickens did. You know, I mean, that thing was translating 150 languages. Christmas Carol... Nicholas Nickleby, Great Expectations, Tale of Two Cities. I mean, and these are all fiction things. So he was able to get across his ideas and his, his heartfelt feelings and the things that he felt society can get better on if they just willing to change their heart and just did it all through fiction. It's something that writing can do more than anything else. More than anything else. Again, not knocking any other art forms, but I really don't know too many people... You know, they're staring at, uh, staring at a naked butt of, of this lady in the museum or staring at Mona Lisa. And believe me, you really shouldn't stare too much at her. I mean, really. Uh, and then they, they walk away like, wow, I need to be a better person. Wow, I need to do this. Wow, I should do that. Wow, I could have considered that. You're not doing that, you know? I mean, I look at David when I was in, I was in Rome and I'm like, dude, I mean, you, you can't find some shorts? I mean, come on. That's what, that's what I got, you know? But you read these books from Dickens, you read stuff from uh, Huxley with Brave New World, you read Orwell's 1984. Notice how Orwell, when he goes to the fiction, 1984 and Animal Farm, he becomes well-known, he becomes popular, he becomes something that alters the landscape of the world. Where his nonfiction books, people are like, yeah, okay, mm -hmm. down and out in London and Paris. Uh, there's some poor people there and they get treated bad. Yeah, I got that. Um the ones over in Cairo and uh, uh, Catman doing doing so well themselves either. So they're not really feeling it <laughs> there. But his other books, I mean, yeah, they, they definitely definitely were feeling that. And, and it had an influence on people. It had a, a way to, to change their perceptions or, or, the, or maybe to possibly widen their, their viewpoints or, I don't know, open their hearts. And that's what fiction can, can do, especially when it, it, it perfectly is aimed to do that. That's exactly what they're trying to do with this other with this other form. No doubt about it. And of course, writing and other art forms can do this well too. So I'm not going to say that somehow um, writing has the monopoly on this. But when it comes to matters of love, and I don't mean just, you know, some mush or some hallmark nonsense or, you know... Man, my wife is so cool, and I'm not worthy of her, and all that. I'm just talking about just in, in, in pure love. It can be love of a of a child that died, or it can be love of an animal that, 
you know, um, is, is given uh, some companionship to an elderly woman who otherwise would be alone. Uh, the love uh, uh, of, of a soldier for his country and, and dying for a cause that believes in. That's the sort of stuff that you can get out of all kinds of other art forms. But writing, I really think, you know, it brings it to a, to a, very, to a very emotional, uh, to me, a very emotional PowerPoint. It really does. I mean, think about it. Um, Red Badger Courage. Uh, a wonderful uh, story. Uh, it, set during the Civil War where you, you had a brother on the north and a brother on the south. Wind up fighting and, and, and meeting up with each other. And what would happen in something like that? How how uh, cruel and unkind something like that can be? And, and you think of war as something that is really something that seems immoral and, and, and almost unnecessary. And obviously uh, horrent, but how much more is it when you have, you know, one on each side? And as far as I'm concerned, family are not meant to kill each other. It happens, I know. <laughs> if you listen to any of the Spanish operas, I think it happens every other second Italian Spanish or Spanish opera. I mean, <laughs> some somebody's always killing their son, their uncle, their mother, father, you know, always. But it wasn't meant to be. And I'm glad that when they did something like this, they tried to make some, some, some tale out of it. But no. Writing can really really bring that home to us, I, I think. And, and maybe more times than not, sticking to somebody's heart and soul and mind, you know, when they're out there, when something like that falls upon their nation or their city or their landscape or whatever, that maybe they have different choices in mind, or maybe they remember about that they don't have to act like an animal to get something across, to get something achieved. You know, believe it or not, you can still kill for your country and still be a moral person, still be a person that that values life, even if you had to take it, because you could be in a situation where you don't have any choice. But you're looking, you're looking to see if there is a choice. You're looking to see if there's a way to not do this, to get. Whatever you have to get done without having to do that. Sometimes it's possible. If you're looking for it, it could be there and maybe you take that. And you feel that much better for it. And 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 that's good. Because uh, a patriot is not just somebody who's killing for the country. It's somebody that's defending their country. And quite frankly, there's many ways to defend your country. You know, you can disarm somebody and defend your country. And, you know, you can convince somebody to put their arm down. You know, this way they don't have to do it. I mean, you can shoot somebody leg instead of somebody in the head and still defend your country. So, killing is not the only thing they have to do. I don't really know if it's always going to be a last resort because uh, military situations can be very complex. Uh, but I do know that if killing can't be the last resort, it really should not be the first resort if you can help it. This way you can kind of keep yourself, you know, Fluid. Keep keep it real, real as much as you can because it's still it's still a horrible thing to have to do and to have to go through. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot more horrible the person who dies in the situation, but you know, sometimes I I believe that uh, the war is more horrible for the survivor than it is for the ones that died. Because you think about it, their their suffering and 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 their fear is over with. Yours continues on for who knows how long. I remember reading a letter from one of the um, one of the soldiers 
in the Civil War. And he was from the South, so he was in the Confederate side. But nevertheless, he had some incredible insight. And one of the things he had said was that, and this was a soldier that literally, because remember, there were so many battles in the, in the Civil War. And it's possible you can have served in the Civil War and maybe you were only in it six months or a year or something. Not everybody was out there for three, four years at a, at a time. Because usually by then you've had the, the bad luck of shooting your, your, your arm off, you're getting your leg cut off or shot up or dead or whatever. Uh, but he was one of those soldiers that actually went through many battles and was literally in his third year of a four-year war. And he was pretty much recounting that in three years he, he, he felt like he, he lived like a couple lifetimes already. That he can barely remember the first year of battle because of all the stuff that he had to do. Remember that was the, that was those are the days of the war where once your once your powder wasn't dry or once you're out of uh, gunpowder, once you're out of balls, or once you just the gun wasn't working anymore, you're using it as a, as as a bayonet and stabbing people, or using your knife and everything and doing hand to hand. You're hitting somebody over the head with a rock, literally. So war didn't stop just because, you know, your, your gun was out. So it, it got a lot more brutal than uh, just sitting, uh, you know, on a ledge someplace and, you know, shooting some dude and f filling up and then shooting somebody again. It's It got it got completely medieval. And it's the reason why they had so much, so much, uh, so much death and, you know, battles with 50,000 people dying in one battle. It's incredible and ridiculous. This is before they had real machine guns or anything, too, or serious bombs or any kind of aircraft or anything like that so imagine something like that this is a short letter it was a letter that had flourishes about loving the family and, and and him believing in the cause which in this particular letter actually framed the cause as uh i want to live the life that i want to live and people who come from the north are invading my territory so therefore that's my cause i mean well, he wasn't talking about slavery or anything. He was just talking about his way of life. Remember, lots of people who fought... In, people forget this. Lots of people who fought in, in, in Confederacy didn't even own slaves. They didn't have the money to do so. They were regular people. Some of them even worked on the same farms as slaves. I mean, they got paid and it wasn't slaves, but still. So, who knows how many uh, even believed in that or not, or even cared about it. I think more they're worried about just the invasion of the territory. Probably got them more upset than anything else. That's what this guy was on his mind, you know. And then that's when he was talking about living, you know, like lifetimes in, in three years. So, and that's the kind of that's the kind of writing, even on somebody who's not a writer. He's simply a, a, a dude writing a letter to his family, doing some correspondence when he had a few moments of downtime, you know, before the next skirmish or the next battle or the next whatever he had to do. You know, just to say something like that gives you that kind of impact that he could not even remember the first battle. He didn't even remember the name of it. <laughs> you know? He made some illusion that he didn't even remember how many people he could have possibly have killed. It was just one big blur to him. And as much as he might have believed in whatever cause he was trying to state vaguely, um, he definitely ended the letter with like, you know, I would like to wrap this up and go home. <laughs> that dude had it. He was he was like done. Um, I never really followed up, and I don't even know if it's possible to follow up if that guy ever survived and went on to do other things or not. Don't know, but I thought it was very interesting because it's coming from somebody 
who's not a writer, not a big general, not some big educated politician, you know, not Abraham Lincoln with the, with the gift of, uh, of, of the kind of power he had. Remember, this is the guy that, he was considered himself a politician and a country lawyer, and he wrote some of the most compelling things in the history of mankind, you know? Four score and seven years ago. I mean, these are words that, to me, it, it, they're a lot like Dickens, you know? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I mean, just to, to start things that way, it's just so powerful. It brings you in right away. Really? Wow. That's something else, you know? And that's what I liked about it, because it's the the touch of the common man where the, where the spirit takes over, you know? And there's no longer a, a literary muse there. There's just the spirit of, I'm going to compel whatever I compel from what I know on words and put it together in something that, you know, I, I feel can get across the deepest longings, you know, of my heart and my soul to my family. Because who knows if I'm ever going to see them again. And that's what I'm sure that guy was thinking about when he was putting that together. Only writing can do that. Um, I know it's not fair to say that, you know, well, gee, you can just compose a little letter quickly before downtime, before a battle starts. It's not like you can just whip out some, some orals and, and, and do a painting or start hitting some, some stone with a, with a hammer and chisel and, and sculpt something or, you know, although you could hit the banjo or the flute and do something like that. You could do that. But yeah, and I, I got that. But again, it does give you that, that incredible portability or mobility of, of writing that most of the other forms don't have. It makes it, uh, to me, to be a real real piece of a, of a journey it's almost like uh when you go on a journey you know you need your food and you need your water and you need a couple of tools and you need the writing because in many ways it becomes a pillow for your head at night under the stars it becomes a weapon possibly to uh you know knock somebody over the head when they need it you know it might become a, an arrow to get somebody's attention it might become just a a, a glass of water for somebody thirsty for knowledge or, or, or just sitting, sitting there ignorant and, and needing a splash in their face to wake up and, and see the bigger re reality around them that they're not seeing because they're in a corner of their own world or they're in some shelter that literally stops them from seeing everything. And that's what writing does. It's another way to, to help healing and, and sometimes it's a way to, to rip a bandage off before it gets infected and clean things out to, to put it back on and, and help a person along their way so that this way their their injury, maybe it becomes a scar, but it's not something that, that's going like, to put them down permanently. And writing can do that because it has a restorative power to it. It's why many veterans, uh, myself, uh, there's... there's uh, accident victims and rape victims and they can use it as a form of therapy a confessional tool to help them this is what writing is something that is both noble and powerful like anything okay writing can be used to hurt people we got journalists all over the place that they, they want to write a quarter of the story that's really out there because they'd like to shape your opinion and what they want you to think not helpful folks you know, you got songs that are out there, you know, I, I don't care if they're rap songs or rock songs, but, you know, too much profanity, the B word over here, you know, cursing about all kinds of stuff, sometimes uh, things that are, that are hatred, not helpful, can harm art big time. And of course, you know, you can just simply write something, 
that's just simply negative or, or hateful just because that's what you purposely want to do. Words have meaning and they also have value, but they also, they have impact. And they, they help people, they can also hurt them as well. So we have to always keep that in mind. But that's what writing is. It has a, a very, very wonderful diversity of options of what can be done. More, much more good than, than ever bad. But still, it does have that out there. And I don't care right now that we're sending spaceships to all kinds of planets and, you know, landing robots on asteroids and trying to see if they can get a McDonald's on Mars and maybe a Burger King on Pluto uh, after they put it back to a regular planet instead of a dwarf planet. It doesn't matter. You notice how writing is still here. It still means something. In some ways, it's, it went into the teleplays and screenplays and sometimes there's good... TV shows or, or, or good movies that can help with writing to help get the image out there, help get the, the message out there. The same thing with music at times. It can have a real impact. But they're still out there. There's still books out there. There's still poetry that's making an impact. There's still fiction that's, that's making an impact. That, that makes a stand for people. People right now, you know, writing things in, in, in Hong Kong because they know that the government is completely in the, in the back pocket of, of China. A communist force who promised them they wouldn't interfere, trying to interfere left and right. Writers in Africa dragged their house into jail or death because they're against the terrorism or they're against the the medieval ways of, of, of silly dictatorships that are just stealing the resources and blaming everybody else for that. All over. Right now, try to be a, 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 a poet in, in Venezuela with a hostile, evil, socialist... You might as well just call it terrorist at this point, government. You know, conducting itself in such a way that it just lets the military and gangs run everything. And millions of people fleeing because they can't even eat, let alone work. A country that was rich only 20 years ago. Try to write a poem about that now. Yeah, you'll, you'll be dead. You know, they might put a bullet in your head for each word that you wrote. That's, that's, that's the kind of people you got there. And you got that in a number of other countries as well. You're not going to get too far over there. And, you know, which I still is Burma. They can call themselves whatever they want to call themselves now. But Burma, a military dictatorship, same thing. Write about that. I write about what's going on with the concentration camps, the real ones. In China with the Uyghurs, the Muslim uh, Asian people. How they're, they're forcing them into re-education and torturing them and stealing their organs. You know, and you got folks over here talking about because uh, we're trying to keep back some people from invading uh, our borders. Come on, folks. Hmm? I don't care what country you come from. It could be India, Pakistan, it could be uh, Chile, or it could be Canada. Have a million people come across your border. Let's see how you act. Then you can tell us, you know, how we're going to act. Because, <laughs> again, you know, that sort of thing is why those things happen in the first place. I mean... If we don't want to lose ourselves and, and, and get stuck in some ideological battle, just keep it in mind. A million people coming from Mexico and Central America, you know, they're not coming here just because they think America's great. Ultimately, they're coming here because their fates back in their own places are horrible. If Mexico would just reform itself and stop being so corrupt, because they're the one that really deserves the blame for all this, and people will want to leave. There are plenty of people who love to just stay where they're at if they can actually support their family and have a life. I mean, who can blame them? I don't blame them for wanting to leave. Don't get me wrong. 
Just like I don't blame people for wanting to reinforce their borders and, 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 and make sure that they're maintaining their sovereignty. The country can't be anything without that. You don't have a sovereign country if you don't if you don't have a protected border. That's just that simple. That's not a political uh, thought. That's just that's just facts. That's just simple reality. But all of those places you're not going to get so far. Try to write a poem against the cartel in Mexico. See how far that goes. I got no problem killing police and police chiefs and mayors and judges. I know they've killed journalists. I think thirty or forty every year, and their writers killed all the time. Just for talking the truth. These people shouldn't be here. We shouldn't have to rely on this. Who can blame them? Can't blame them. But this is what writing is. And you think about that. Think about being a a dictator. Or um, a cartel leader. And you go on on the list of threats that you have today. Of what you want to do about those. to, To keep your regime going. Keep your organization strong. You know. And... You don't have a you don't have a cop or a judge or a politician or even a military guy on the top of your list. No, your top of your list are journalists, writers, poets, playwrights. Great. That's the top of your list. Those are the people they kill. They kill journalists in Mexico before they even kill a cop. Some say it's because so called it's easier, because journalists are not gonna shoot back and they might not have security and blah blah blah, but no. They're doing it because that's their priority. That's where they feel their danger is most. You know? So they're not afraid of the law. They're not afraid of the law men. They're afraid of the poet. And they're afraid of the writer. So that's what writing is. When people have such fear, they want to kill you. I'm not saying this is a goal you're supposed to have. Yeah, man, I want to be such a great fight that people just want to shoot me left and right. Then I know I'm a great poet. This is not what we're talking about. But what we are saying that it does have that authority. It does have that kind of scope. In many ways, it's its own weapon. More powerful than, than, in my opinion, a bullet. You think about it. A bullet can only kill maybe one or two people when it travels and leaves the gun. You get a, a well-placed article or some important truth out there. I mean, you could literally, for the evil people, harm harm thousands and harm all kinds of things that, that person in that organization or that evil government is trying to do. Just with an article. Just with a poem. Just with a play. Remember uh, Vaclav Havel. The uh, the important uh, playwright. In communist Czechoslovakia. In fact I protested his imprisonment. At, at the 1989 uh, Frankfurt Book Fair. When I was in West Germany at the time. In the Air Force. And uh, they literally. And this is not well known. But it's it's. Nothing that's a secret. They literally left alone union workers that had weapons that that were even guilty of beating up like communist police and everything. They left them alone so they can go grab him and put him in jail. The playwright. Uh, but uh, but commissar, this dude has a uh, has a short off shotgun and he has a big knife and he's already stabbed like five of our people and we're gonna arrest the playwright. That's what they did. Put him in jail for years. For a play. This is not a man that had a gun. This is a man that had a pen. This is a man that had a heart. This is a man that had a mind. This is a man that had the truth. And that's what they were afraid of. And writing at its very best form, no matter what it is, what type it is, what genre it is, 
Writing's about truth. And we need more of that throughout the world. We're not going to get it unless we talk to each other more. I know uh, internet, the social media, email, all that sort of stuff helps. Don't get me wrong, it does. You know, it obviously has its downfalls like anything else. But as long as we can continue to do that, because it still happens right now, even all those countries I'm talking about, people out there with smartphones, writing stuff, sending stuff out, doing things to let folks know what's going on at great risk to themselves so that others can know what's going on, so that others might be free one day to have a, a life in the, in the future in a free society where you should be able to publish something and maybe you get a couple of hate mails or maybe you get a couple of opinion letters about how you're a dork or maybe you just get somebody in a coffee shop saying this is a bunch of baloney but uh, no one's trying to explode your house and kill you and your whole family. That's the kind of society you want to have. The one where you can talk without fear. Not, not without ridicule, not without criticism. There's no such thing. But without fear. And that's the world that we should have. I know we're all trying to, in our own way, make sure that keeps, uh, keeps spreading throughout the world. We're not there yet. Still too many wars, still too many dictators... Still so many journalists and writers and playwrights and poets being murdered. But one day, we will be there. So let's keep that in mind. This is what writing is. Powerful and spiritual and philosophical and noble. God bless you folks until next time. This is Gent to be Human, your host Mark Anthony Rossi. Writing is fire. What is writing? Thank you for listening. Please follow the show and visit our blog at strengthtobehuman.blogspot.com.